There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is in the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Bong. <laughs> Welcome to the Zone Zone, a father-daughter podcast about the Twilight Zone, because there really aren't enough Twilight Zone podcasts out there, are there, Maeve? It's quite a dearth. I know, it's a dearth indeed. So here's here's <laughs> filling that void for you all, dear Ooh, listeners. Filling that void? Okay. What wordplay? <laughs> <laughs> We are going to be, hopefully, uh, reviewing, recapping, and uh, goofing on uh, all of the Twilight Zone episodes in order. Uh, we hit upon this. Well, why, do we, why are we doing this, Maeve? What's, this go- what's going on there? Uh, we're doing this because both of us stopped reading because we listened to too many podcasts. <laughs> and then one of us, who shall remain nameless, thought, well, maybe we should make one because then... Everyone can hear our voices and we can take over the universe. And that's exactly what you want to do, guys. Hear our voices and have us take over the universe because clearly we know best. I thought that was already established. <laughs> well, if it's not established at the beginning of this podcast, it's certainly going to be established at the end. Today, I'll tell you, one of my, one of my reasons for wanting to do this was uh, when you suggested it, because you came up with the idea of Twilight Zone, you came up I? with the idea of... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, of the podcast. <laughs> I thought, you know, I loved these shows when I was a kid. I saw them when I was very young. had a TV in my room, would stay up till 11, 15, 11.30 every night on Channel 15, UHF, which means nothing to you, but that's all right. Old people What's on the podcast. What's a channel? <laughs> <laughs> right. Eleven thirty every night. I stayed up to watch the Twilight Zone. I thought it was the best thing on television, and I stopped watching, you know, when I got to be an adult. And so I vaguely remember some of these episodes. I remember them as good. You've seen maybe three. Four, something like that? Well, I feel like maybe we could round it up to four because there are some episodes where I've seen like so many gifs of them that I feel like if you stitched them together, that would amount to one whole episode. Uh, did you mean gifs? Is that what you meant? That's not funny. <laughs> That's very funny. That ship sailed like three years ago. <laughs> hmm. All right, so today we are going to be recapping and reviewing uh, season one, episode one. Where is everybody? This first aired in October 2nd in 1959. It was written by Mr. Rod Serling himself, creator of the show, directed by Robert Stevens. And if that sounds like I know a lot, I really don't, because I have no idea what those guys did otherwise. I will say the, the main actor, and practically the only actor in Earl this movie. Earl Holloman. There you go, Earl Holloman. Beat him to it. <laughs> Beat me to it. Um, and, uh, again, don't know much the guy did, but he seemed to have a good long career in film and mostly TV. So I think he did a great job on this episode. We'll be talking about that. Well, with a name like Earl Holloman, <laughs> can't really go into any other business. <laughs> I guess not. Um, so we, shall we start, Maeve? Shall we go? Yeah, I'm ready. I, 
I, you know, I took out my retainer and I popped in a breath mint. I'm ready to rumble. Uh, a breath mint? What's what's that going to do for you? I want to be respectful to the microphone. <laughs> they say you got to dress for the job you want to do. <laughs> All right. Well, we're dressed and ready and breath minted up for the job we want to do. Uh, so we start, we start with a, a guy walking down the road in overalls, no obvious signs or symbols on this thing, just a pair of overalls. And the opening narration from Rod Serling is, the place is here, the time is now, and the journey into the shadows which we are about to watch could be our journey. Yeah, I find that unlikely. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this journey, but that's all right. This guy's walking down a country road. Oh wait, sorry, real quick before we start, yeah. um, regarding the opening narration, uh, we wanted to, to thank uh, my younger sister Cassidy for, uh, for narrating the, the very, um, very polished uh, opening to the show that we took a really long time yeah, <laughs> putting yeah. together. If you are curious about the production value of this show, look no further because you have heard the stellar production values there. Um, that is the pinnacle of where we're going. <laughs> yep. And let's hope we reach that low bar. <laughs> So, uh, the guy's walking down the street, and he hears some jazz music, runs over to a diner that's empty, but a playing, a <laughs> thank you, playing uh, music on the jukebox, um, and tries to get some service, and there's no one there, and we get the sense that we've already established this idea, this guy is alone. Uh, things are clearly on. We, he goes to the back kitchen, which I'm going to say, like, he just immediately jumps over the counter. I have so many notes about this um, because a little bit later in the episode, he fishes in his pocket for, uh, for money. And he's like, oh, look, it's American cash. I guess I'm an American. And I was like, we already established that when you leaped over the counter in a restaurant you've never been to before after asking for food one time. Yeah, the guy really owns the place. There's no question that this is eminent domain. Like No one's here, so I'm jumping over the counter. I'm going to grab some coffee. Uh, Mike, Mike Ferris is the name of our main character. We learn later is, Ooh, is back, <laughs> he's back in the kitchen getting himself some coffee. Um, he is nosing around, like picking up everything. He picks up a clock that is smashed and is set to the time. <laughs> yeah, is set to the time 6:15:42. I give that to you because I know you don't know how to read clocks that are the old-fashioned way. What's a clock? On. Yeah, I know, right? Analog, digital. What is this? <laughs> I know it's crazy. Um, and, and I, super nerd that I am, also saw that the alarm was set for 8.45, which means nothing, I found out later on. Absolutely insignificant. I'm not even sure that the time is that significant, but we see the clock has stopped. He pulls out his American money. He's like, hey, I'm an American, but I still don't know who I am. I'm a hungry cash customer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no one's there. He's sipping his coffee. He comes back out and suggests the first thing that we all automatically assume. Maybe I'm in a dream. Uh, and that is the cut to commercial. What do you think about this opening uh, salvo from Twilight Zone? Um, I mean, like, I feel like they were trying to provoke a lot of questions, but the main question I had was, why are there so many egg types, and why do I not know which types of eggs are types of eggs? What? Why are they all over easy and easy and uh, sunny? Uh, he kept asking for all these types of eggs, and I didn't... <laughs> 
Uh, my daughter's a vegetarian, and while that doesn't exactly extend to eggs, uh, she's not super excited about eggs, so uh, forgive her for not understanding the delicacy that is a sunny-side-up egg and the and the, the difference of when you send it over easy. Uh, I'm sorry. Wait, are they not the same thing? <laughs> no, they are not the same thing, not even by a long shot. One time I ate an egg at, at Denny's. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You have. It was fine. <laughs> All right. So now that we've commented on that's the first the part. That's the extent of my experience. Okay. Nice. Thanks. Moving on. Uh, we get to the, I guess you call it second act, uh, if I want to sound official. I did notice that there is this cool, haunting, weird music. I don't know if you noticed yes, that. Yes. It was like by Bernard Ehrman or something. I don't know. That's some research. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now that you bring it up. Um, yeah, no, I really love the score. Um, I'm not sure if this is the kind of podcast we're trying to be, but that kind of little sequence, it was very Ingmar Bergman to me, like with the, the kind of push-in shots and, and the very specific kind of music cues. It reminded me of the beginning of Wild Strawberries. Um, which got me into the mind that this was going to be going in a much more metaphysical direction. Mm -hmm. And then it totally didn't. Yep. It's just <laughs> not metaphysical. Nope. I agree. There are all kinds of ways, of course, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where are we going? What are we doing? And I think that's the goal of every Twilight, or every good Twilight Zone, yeah. is trying to get you to think uh, what's going on here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think it's not far along where we decide maybe he's the last person on earth there's some kind of holocaust or something like that nuclear except, holocaust except, except my favorite part of this episode is that he crosses the road and we already are thinking that oh. he's the last man on earth <laughs> and he checks both ways before he crosses um just a, as a list throughout this episode he sees various things are on Mm -hmm. um, or or lit, if you will. Uh, coffee is on. The church bell rings. A cigar is lit. Uh, <laughs> phone rings. Stuff like that. So there's clearly something going on, but no people until aha, uh -huh, he <laughs> gets to a car and sees a young woman sitting in the passenger side, uh, and he he calls out to her, "Hey, miss. Hey, hey. Uh, blah blah blah." And he starts a whole dialogue. I gotta say, this guy did a good job creating whole dialogues which are really monologues. Like the mm -hmm. whole thing is him talking to himself and thinking yeah. he's talking to someone else. And that could be a really boring episode, but mm -hmm. I think he did a pretty good job. No, I think both Rod Sterling and Earl Holloman <laughs> were, were really proficient. Like I was quite impressed. Um, yeah. I, I have a question for you about this doll sequence. Oh, so in case I didn't say it before, so oh, he, right. <laughs> he thinks this is a woman. Uh, we all can tell right away that she is not, but okay, It's like fine. a mannequin with like a bit of a Faye Dunaway vibe. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, he gets up there, he opens the door, and dun-dun-dun! Mannequin falls out onto the floor. It still the... takes him like five seconds to register. Yeah. The reaction shot is priceless. Um, definitely worth working there. Um, yeah, and, and just to drive the point home, the woman is, I think, sitting in a van that is the <laughs> delivery van for a mannequin store. So, <laughs> she's, so, she's the mannequin peddler, obviously. Yeah. Someone got to peddle the mannequins. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a great demand for mannequins in this town. So, uh, and he even goes into the store next door and there's mannequins around. I don't know about you, but at this point, I was like, okay, not a dream. 
But if these mannequins zombify and come to life, I am outski. Like, I'm turning this thing off because you know how I feel about zombies. Yeah, I'm I had not the going there. opposite feeling. I was like, if these mannequins come alive, this is the best half hour of television I've ever witnessed. Well, my memory is vague, but I think depending on how far we get in Twilight Zone, you may be rewarded for that feeling. Woo-woo. So I'm just going to send uh, that out there as a spoiler. Um, wow, major spoilers for, for Twilight Zone ahead. <laughs> Um, so I, I have a question about this doll sequence. Yeah, okay. At one right. point he says, you haven't got the admission key, have you, doll? And it was kind of like, is that admissible casual sexism? He said that? He said doll? Really? Yeah. Okay. Is that, you yeah. know? Uh, you know, we're going to, I have a feeling, we're going to run into a lot of casual and not so casual sexism. Yeah, 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 but. Yeah, okay. She is a doll. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, okay. I see where you're going with this. So, so maybe so, it's not. So my question is, if I if I walk up to a I don't know a, a baby baby uh, chicken and I say, "What's going on, chick? Is that fine?" <laughs> well, you didn't specify the sex. Oh wait, a chicken's female. Okay, yeah, never mind. I got that. I got wait, that. is it a hen? Or is that a Where is that? Oh God, now I don't know. If a rooster lays an egg on a on a roof, which way does the egg fall down? Here you go, listeners. Sunny at, side up, apparently. At us, uh, uh, what is the difference between a rooster, a hen, and a chicken? I think this is. I think this is meant as a joke. Doll, like like she's a woman, and yeah. and slang for a woman. Obviously, I don't know that it was meant to be sexist. In that, I'm not sure that sexism was really a. A concept that people were concerned with at the time. Oh, wasn't it? It was a concept that some people weren't concerned <laughs> Fair with. Fair enough. Point, point taken. Point taken. Let me retract that. <laughs> I'm not convinced that Rod Serling was particularly concerned about any brand of sexism. Um, and certainly we should call it out. I, I also no, think we are going to be calling it out a lot, so we'll probably uh, moderate I just it with a little this bit. Was of, a, this was an interesting case because yes. <laughs> he's Fair not enough. factually incorrect. You heard it here first, people. This is our test case. We're going to now refer to this as the doll test case oh, that's really of sexism. Boring. Oh, wow. Doll test case. <laughs> the Beck doll test. Oh, God. It's the Beck doll test. It was All right, right there going. in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, we Okay, so, oh, uh, one other thing I will point out. Uh, so he pans, at the end of the scene with the mannequin, he pans, uh, the camera pans, his view pans across the town square and... It is the town square of Back to the Future. Back to the Future, part one. The original really? Back to the Future, yes. This is the lot. This is I did I did Cause research. Because this, this was the, the first and only Twilight Zone film at Universal Studios. And my daughter did research too, yes. After this, I believe it moved. Go, so goes many to freaking tip. notes. Look at these pages. <laughs> MGM Studios. And this is the Back to the Future lot uh, that they used for the film. And I would not have necessarily gotten that seeing it, but when I read it, and reviewed it. It is right there. You are looking at the town clock. You're looking at the place where Doc and Marty, Marty. McFly, yep, Marty McFly set up the the Lamborghini or whatever it was, DeLorean. DeLorean. All right, DeLorean. Me. <laughs> uh, for the lightning strike, it's all right there, and that's kind of cool. That is really cool. I'm there glad you. Go. I'm glad you were a nerd. Okay. And then um, we get to the phone, right? Yeah. So phone. he runs to the phone, and and he's getting freaky here. This is probably the first time he really starts getting freaky. 
bangs into the phone booth because it's ringing. Um, and then it hangs up, so he puts a quarter in, he tries to dial, dials the operator. What's an operator? It's going around, and and he gets a recording, and I don't know about you, Maeve, but from the very beginning, I knew this was a recording, right? He doesn't. Nope. Nope. All right, spoilers for the end of the episode. The second time I was watching this, I was like, this guy? <laughs> Are we sure this is the guy we want representing the world? Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, spoiler for the episode: this guy's going into space apparently, and um, he's got the hopes of the entire planet on his on his shoulders. And he is not really sure how recordings work, is he? He keeps talking, even after he says, "Oh, this is a recording." He keeps talking to it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he yeah. gets a recording, and it says, no, not in service, so he bangs it down, and then things are happening, and he's freaking out, and he tries to exit the phone booth. And again, I'm thinking, this guy doesn't seem to know how doors work, right? <laughs> and we're going to revisit that later in the <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true. He's banging on the door. I think if you look carefully, he actually breaks the, the prop. He breaks the door. It cracks open, but um, they just rolled with it, which is fine. Nice. Uh, not realizing that you pull in on the door rather than push out. He's pushing out and thinking he got somehow uh, locked out, locked in. And nope. Then I wrote this down in entirety. He says, this is an absolutely hysterical town, and I'm going very fond of it. <laughs> uh, you've just been uh, given Maeve's 1950s voice, a voice she's very proud of. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot of that, especially at the end here. So, uh, yeah, I Sorry, it. Charlies don't know the, the lot of it, you see? <laughs> I appreciate that, Maeve. I appreciate that. We move on to the police office. He starts playing with the mic, calling all cars, calling all cars. Uh, and then, I think this is what you were alluding to before. Well, he, there's the first he sees cigarette smoke. Ah, yeah. This is going to show the depth, depths of my references for like how I understand pop culture. When I saw that scene, my brain immediately went to the 2010 movie Megamind. <laughs> I know that exists. Okay. <laughs> the only thing I remember about seeing the 2010 movie Megamind in theaters at the age of seven, question mark, um, is that at the end of the movie, Megamind is looking for the superhero guy, and he goes into the superhero's lair, and the superhero guy has left a glass of water on the table, but the ice hasn't melted yet. Oh. And we know... Major spoilers for Megamind from 2010. <laughs> and then that's how he knows the superhero is there. So I thought that the cigarette smoke was going to be a, a classic Megamind moment. <laughs> uh, um, are you rooting for Megamind in this movie? You weren't? In any event, <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike Ferris decides to check out the jail cell. I think he might have heard some ru- water running. He goes oh through one uh, big bar door thing. Yeah, the urinal is like peeing. It's oh. not a thing. There's like water trickling and he hears it. And you think it's a urinal? That was a sink. <laughs> I don't know what urinals are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Uh, 
clearly I've been remiss in my daughter's education. I mean, I saw the like the 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 one in that museum one time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's a more accurate urinal. This was a sink. And I though really that I, I, you know what, I don't even want to go scatological. I think we can leave it there. This was a sink that you wash your hands in. Uh, anyway, he gets to the jail cell and. I, I, I don't know about you, but he, he opens the second jail cell door, and I'm thinking, this guy's an idiot. He's practically trapped in this town. He is going to trap himself in and this I, room. And I'm thinking, this guy? Space? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there sure, are a lot of guys. <laughs> sure enough, he looks up, sees a shadow of a jail cell door swinging, and hope. Oh my gosh, he runs towards the door, bolts it open just in time, doesn't get trapped in the jail cell, and gets his gets out of that police And then before office. we cut to commercial, oh. he shouts, Where? Oh, I thought you were going to do it with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try that. Here we go, ready? Three, two, one. Where, where is, is everybody? everybody? Now is where we cut to our sponsors, uh, Casper Mattresses. They're bouncy. <laughs> Mac right. Weldon. Don't forget Mac Weldon underwear. Ooh, my favorite. <laughs> Who could ever forget Mac Weldon? <laughs> and RX bars. Oh, all right. Don't eat them, but you that, can compost them. Yeah, I'm just going to say right now, sponsors, <laughs> we accept almost all sponsors. <laughs> we all might right. even prostitute ourselves for an oil company, <laughs> but we are not going to sponsor RX bars. I'm just so I've tried them and they're disgusting. Can't not recommend them enough. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, anyway, we come back from commercial. We're in our last scene, I think. This is, I guess, act three, where everything's going to go down. Maybe we're going to finally figure out what's going on. He gets to the malt shop. At this point, for me, it was becoming... He starts talking to his reflection. This is the first mirror that he kind of interacts with. And it be, it's becoming painfully clear uh, that he can't really do this much longer, right? This, this kind of monologuing, I think yeah. he's done a great job. I really don't want to hear him talk about his situation anymore. It's, yeah. it's getting a little old. If this was an hour-long episode, oh my gosh, I would I'd be snoozing. Yep. <laughs> All right, he makes a nice Christmas Carol illusion. Yeah, what was up with that? Oh, uh, Scrooge is just uh, uh, talking to a ghost, I think Marley, I think it's the first ghost, and basically says, you know, you're, you're just some undigested piece of food. You're a dream. So the guy still thinks he's in a dream. That's what he's getting across. He has that great line, uh, there's more of gravy than of grave about you. It made me think, like, I don't know. You give food for the brain, but what's the brain for the food? <laughs> that is that is a real thing I wrote down in my notebook. Class. Wow, you did this late at night, did you? Um, oh wait, maybe can you explain to me how clocks work again? Because earlier in the episode, the 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 uh, the uh, bell, the clock bell, the church bell, the yeah. church bell, um, it rang seven times. And then the next time we hear it ring, it rings four times. Okay, so... Is that like the broken clock motif again? I, that's or... totally wrong. I didn't yeah. count the, the the bells. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, church bells should ring enough, uh, the um, the hour. should If it's ringing on the hour, like at 7 yeah. o'clock, it's going to ring seven times. Yeah, okay. Sometimes they'll have other chimes for the 15-minute mark or the 30-minute mark to let you know that now it's 7.30. Uh, but there's no reason why a church would go from 7 to 4, unless it was 7 in the morning and that's now 4 in the afternoon. But then we would have heard the clock a bunch of other times. You, we would have. Uh, although the episode does get to nighttime, so we are seeing him yeah. throughout the course of a day. I don't know when the 
Oh, well, we don't know when it started. The clock was broken at eight something. Um, he sees some basketball games. I did a lot. I tried to do a research on basketball no. games on a chart. Uh, and they are all listed in January, De December, January, 1959, 1960. So they would theoretically take place two or three months after this episode aired. Okay. It lists all the towns that this town, Oakwood. Oakwood. Oakwood is, is <laughs> competing against Allerton, Clarion, Winchester, Plainville, and Corinth. None of which I found anything significant about. Okay. Unless you really want to go nerdy deep. Are you ready? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you plead for help. No, no, no. Go ahead. All right. Okay. I'm going to do this. No, it's not too nerdy. But um, no, no, no. Yeah, Corinth is a city in Greece. I think it's still a city. It's certainly an ancient city. Uh -huh. uh, if you know the Bible, there's Corinthians. Corinthians. There you go. I only know that because sometimes people put like, Bible passages in their Instagram bios. Okay. Like, I love life. I love my family. Corinthians one seventeen. There you, know. you go. <laughs> uh, that was Paul uh, who wrote those. But if you go back even farther <laughs> to Greek mythology, ancient Greek mythology, uh, it was believed, I could be getting this wrong, that Corinth was founded essentially by Sisyphus. And Sisyphus is that guy who got damned to hell, or rather Hades. Yeah, the... And the he had to push the rock yep. up the hill, right? Yep. He was, his curse was, I can't remember what he did for it, but his curse was to always push a he rock a up rock the hill. let a rock fall down the hill. <laughs> one rock. I gave you one job, one rock. You let it fall. Now you're punished. So he has to always push a rock up a hill. It always falls back down. And maybe there's some very obscure connection uh, between this guy trying to figure out his position, like what's going on, uh, and trying to solve this mystery in Sisyphus. That's about a, as ne nerdy a deep dive as you can get. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, because I know so little about the Twilight Zone. When I saw the basketball thing, I thought, oh, the twist must be that they're all out of town for a basketball away game. <laughs> wow. Now that would have been a twist early, worthy of M. Night Shlamalaman, yeah. Okay. Oh, now we're making fun of names. So uh, he also sees a bunch of books in uh, stands, and I, being the again nerdy geek that I am, tried to research some of them. Suffice to say, there's not much going on there. One of them was like anti-Lenin. Yes, that's true. Uh, and indeed, some of them in their Wikipedia page mentioned that they were in this episode, which is that's something. That's really sad. Yeah. because That's that my might, one accomplishment. That might be what they're known for. But one of the book stands, these old-fashioned book stands, is full of the same book, and its title is The Last Man on Earth. And he's like, no one on Earth can have a dream as complete as mine. I was like, try me. <laughs> um... Uh, so we cut to it's dark now. He's sitting on a park bench playing tic-tac-toe against himself and we're all, losing. We're all there sometimes. Or, or winning? I don't know. Who, who beats themselves at tic-tac-toe? It's Arabos eating his tail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, we all know that there's a formula to tic-tac-toe that you can win it in the first move or rather stalemate it in the first move. I know it exists. War Games taught us this, and if you I haven't watched War games. games, then... Oh. I heard it explained to me uh, very loudly on the uh, Ready Player One audiobook. <laughs> oh, that's right. And we know that if you play tic-tac-toe against yourself, you cannot beat yourself. The Whopper computer has proved that. War Games, mate. It's on War Games. 
And, uh, and yeah, I challenge someone to beat themselves at tic-tac-toe. This doesn't make sense, but okay. <laughs> try me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to try that after this podcast. Um, the lights come on in the town, and, and the cinema uh, flares up, so he's excited. He runs to the movie. He sees it's showing Battle Him, which was a real movie. Yeah. Really starring Rock Hudson and Martha Heyer. I think I'm getting her I just name wanna, right. I just want to point out here, like, his brain made him, like, a fantasy world with an ice cream parlor where the ice cream was still frozen, with a ton of books, you know, you could take any of them, with a cinema all to himself and with no people, and he, he doesn't even appreciate any of it. This is your fantasy, isn't it? No human interaction whatsoever. I was so confused for the most of this movie. I was like, why is this guy so crazy? He has ice cream. He has books. He has a freaking cinema. I've always wanted to like have um, walk into a movie theater and it's empty. And then I can have like the movie projected on my body. Okay. I'm not going to analyze that. But all right. Like uh, Taylor Swift has a music video where she did that. And I was like, wow, I want to... All right. I'm not going to finish these thoughts. <laughs> I recognize that this is your fantasy. In fact, you, Maeve, might be the antithesis or anti-hypothesis to this the entire hypothesis of this episode uh, that we'll get to in just a moment, I think. I know. Well, I have the words try me written a few times in, me, in my notes. Maybe you should be going to space is what we're saying. I think that we can all agree on that. All right. Uh, so he, uh, he figures out by seeing the pictures in his uniform that, oh, I'm, I'm in the Air Force. And he kind of gets to the bombing idea, which all of us got there before, yeah. you know, maybe this was a nuclear blast. He's we're like, gonna... nothing is destroyed yeah, but we're... your ego. We're, <laughs> 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 we're going to see the nuclear blast theme a lot in Twilight Zone. This was a big thing we all thought about that you guys don't. And you guys. Oh, I think your... about it. Okay, well, yes. <laughs> Neuroses runs in my family. I passed that along very well. Um, he, he has a total freak out in the cinema, realizes the projector's going, but of course there's no projectionist. Runs down, and actually, uh, this effect kind of shocked me when yeah, it happened, me too. right? Like, you see, it cuts to a scene of him coming down the banister, the stairs. And it looks like you're pointed at him. Right, you're, you're, the camera's right pointed at him, come down the stairs, but it's kind of a wide angle shot. And he comes running towards the camera, running towards the camera, and just face plants into a mirror. It Up, was really cool. Twist, we were looking at a mirror the whole time and seeing his reflection. This is the second mirror he's dealt with. This one he runs into, cracks open. Mm -hmm. I will say, I watched it again, um, thinking, man, that was a, he full on ran into that. I really wanted to watch this. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's no CGI that didn't exist. This is a practical effect. What's no CGI? <laughs> He runs straight into this mirror, and uh, I will say he kind of got it wrong. He got his marker wrong. If you look at it again, really, the mirror cracks in a totally different place than his head. Oh, uh, that's there's funny. no reason for the mirror to break that way. Uh, his head—he just was off. Shut by up! Head. <laughs> <laughs> Stop <laughs> ruining this super cool effect. Kudos to Rob Stevens for blowing my mind. <laughs> All right, so we'll leave it at that. It was a good effect, and they weren't counting on people rewinding it on Netflix. So I suppose that's that's fair. Uh, he hits the ground. This is your try me moment. <laughs> That's right. He uh, he gets total freak out mode. He's running out of the cinema. He's running across the street, and in the sh in the foreground, it's big again, wide angle shot. In the foreground of the shot is this bicycle. You got to imagine it's the only thing there on the street or on the sidewalk. He runs and makes a <laughs> beeline 
straight for the bicycle and runs into it. The dude is alone in a town. I know he's freaking out. I know he's running for whatever reason. But, like, it's like he zeroed in on that bicycle. It was really weird. Well, I guess, like, I can kind of get it because, you know, he was just kind of like, I don't know who I am or where I am or what I'm doing, but I want to break some stuff, you know? I'm the bicycle thief. That's what I'm doing. No. (laughs) No? All right. I'll I'll let it simmer. (laughs) Fair enough. So uh, he then runs up to a crosswalk um, thing. Oh, he sees an eye from an optometrist sign. Yeah, and there's been a lot of like, someone's watching me. And I kind of thought the twist was going to be like, he's on TV. And I'd be like, I already knew that. Yeah, I'm thinking (laughs) aliens at this moment. I thought it was like a meta commentary on how we consume television. Wow. Okay. Well, because it's like... We're putting you through these paces and we're putting this guy through all of these, like, this, you know, horrible for him, subjectively horrible experience. And, um, and the entire time he feels so uncomfortable because he feels like someone's watching him and it's like, yeah, but we really put him there in the end, man. Oh, we did it to ourselves. (laughs) But at what cost? (laughs) So, so we agree the script could use to punch up then, I suppose, but... (laughs) But here we go to the ending. Uh, he he hits the the cross crosswalk like, button. It almost goes oh. into like O Fortuna, which was interesting. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it spells dun dun, and then it does a different. Oh, uh, you expect it to note. hit that dun 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 dun. Yeah. All right. Uh, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. He hits the crosswalk button and just starts uh, saying, "Help me! Help, help me, me! Help, help me. me! Say that she'll help." And, me. and I'm I'm you know at this point I'm I am. Again, I appreciate that he's freaking out, but he's hitting a crosswalk button. Didn't make sense to me. Of course, it does make sense. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Because we then cut uh, a really sharp, harsh cut, like no yep. transition, to a group of old white dudes sitting in a room, all with uniforms on, military of some kind. Using some very half-hearted Air Force lingo. <laughs> yeah, it's like right. Rod Sterling just threw in there like... <laughs> Clocking, release the subject on the double, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was classic 1950s. I, I'm I'm sure Maeve got a lot of fodder for her 1950s voice. <laughs> classic 1950s old white guys talking about technical things and using gizmos and doodads and the electrodes. You see. <laughs> yeah, the electrodes. Uh, they're watching a TV. So here's a little credit to you, Maeve, on the uh, the TV idea. They're watching yeah. a TV of this guy who's. Who's just saying, "Help me, help me!" It's our, it's our lead guy. They, they say, "Okay, get him out of there, get him out of there!" And they, they pan out, and he's in a box, like an isolation box. Sound of my mind being blown. (laughs) (laughs) And they, they open the box. Uh, You see where his hand is, is, is sort of thumping up and down on, on, on the, the wall. There's a broken clock. Again. Mm. Ooh, motif. Yeah, the broken <laughs> clock is, uh, I think the early one, I think I said it was 8.15, it was 6.15. Now it's actually at 6.17. It seems like it's two minutes later, so I don't know if that's significant. And then, like, the, the helper the helper guy, um, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know Air Force names. It's like, hey, he broke a clock. Let's make sure he doesn't hurt his hand. In case you didn't get it, he broke... It's the only other thing in there. It's him and this clock. And in case you didn't see the close-up shot on the clock, we're making sure you realized there was a clock. But the the captain guy is is there to be the audience surrogate. Because he goes, 
I can see that, Sergeant. <laughs> yeah. Colonel, I think he is, but you got the right idea. Yeah, so the colonel's kind of big-dogging the uh, the sergeant. Like, dude, get I can see a clock. Uh, they get him out of there, and then, um, you know, it's all that 1950s. So how long was he in there? So much jargon. 484 hours, blah, blah, blah. And 36 and, minutes. <laughs> and, and then the military does the thing it would never do in real life and immediately invited the press into the room. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> to give exposition. I guess they needed someone to talk to who didn't know what was going on so they could tell us what was wait, going wait, on, I right? <laughs> Nobody expects the press exposition oh <laughs> so the press they, they painfully i think they probably explain in three or four different ways yep. uh the same thing which is uh as i think one press person says so this was a simulated trip to the moon is that right general <laughs> and i'm thinking well it wasn't a real trip to the moon so, yeah pretty sure that was simulated it turns out the moon was on our on the inside after all the look in the mirror time. the moon is in you <laughs> um then there's kind of a, a push-in shot that i thought was cool and it kind of i don't know it was it was nice to kind of be stylistically different from inside the world um i guess my main my main quibble with this episode well we like, have to get to the whole point of this Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, oh, but yeah. they do say, okay, so then the thing yeah. is, he cracked. He cracked after 484 hours. This is a test to see if you can be in isolation. And we get the barrier of loneliness, the one thing we haven't licked yet. Licked one of, yet. Yeah, I know, that's that what was, he said. I wrote it down <laughs> in my note. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what, what's even weirder at the end is, so then we get this guy, and he kind of comes to pretty quick, for someone who's had a major psychological breakdown and yeah. hallucinated an entire empty town, he comes to pretty quickly. Well, uh, I was like, all right. And this he's guy, like, yeah, that was guy, my own thanks. personal hell. I really don't want to go back there. I think he almost says that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say H-E double hockey sticks because it's 1959. You can't he say that. He did say the word bloody two times. Ah, he did say that. It's quite salacious. Um, but the final scene is he's looking up at the moon as he's being carried out of the stretch. And he's like, I'm coming for you, baby. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, man, this guy is serious in, in recovery mode. Yeah, he's like one of those video game guys where the, the, the health meter gets all the way down and then yeah. boom, zoops right back up. I'm coming for you, doll. <laughs> <laughs> no more need be said about it. All um, right, so what's your quibble? What you, what you got going on here? Uh, my main quibble is I didn't even give him like a Sudoku book. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That might have been nice. Yeah. I could right. treat a veteran like an airplane, you know, for two hours. <laughs> and this guy gets treated for 484. One of the military guys says, you know, I think the doctor says, uh, you know, we can give him microfilm. We can even simulate a movie of sorts. I, I don't really know what that means, but yep. he says that. We can give him books. We can do this. But we can't give him that one thing, human interaction. And I'm thinking, I'm... I'm good on a plane without human interaction. You know, yeah. Maeve and I regularly take 20 plus hour flights. We live a lot of the year in India. And yeah, if I've got that little monitor, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need human interaction. Nope. <laughs> I'd be fine with the Sudoku book. <laughs> um, yeah. So Maeve, so final summation. Did you like the episode? Your first episode of Twilight Zone in this official um, capacity. Yeah, I, I think... It had a pretty strong central performance who, even though it was a dummy, managed to make it semi-believable. Um, oh, I had one thing at the end. I could be like totally off base about this, but with the shot of the moon, um, it looked 
kind of like there were two there were two strips of mist hanging around it, and mm-hmm. they were really faint, but ah. the moon looked like another eye. Um, okay. So I, I feel like there are two main visual motifs of the broken clocks, whether it be the you know seven o'clock and then four o'clock, or the literal broken clocks and the eyes too, which was very Gatsby-ish. Um, uh, my main question is: Is the Twilight Zone just whatever is? narratively convenient <laughs> for the story because at the end in the closing narration Rod Sterling's like that pit of loneliness the twilight zone yeah like, he, he doesn't thought, say that for every episode no I know okay, I know right. so my point is do they just change what the twilight zone is for like oh. every single <laughs> the twilight zone encompasses all it, it contains multitudes Maeve it contains multitudes Oh, uh, and I think wow. we have to leave How it at that. It was a good half hour. This is pretty revolutionary. And, and I did read some reviews. They were generally critically positive. Audience, hmm, meh. Yeah, the um, New York Times called it a playlet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think people appreciated that it, it, it brought up something that was interesting and didn't necessarily go the way everyone thought, which was, you know, last mm-hmm. man standing on earth must be a nuclear war. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things I think, uh, a couple more things I found out that would have made me like the show perhaps better. Mm-hmm. One little one, I don't know what it means, but Rod Serling uh, went back to this episode a few times. He wrote about it, I think, in an, uh, he wrote it up as a short story anthology later on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he was quoted as saying this or, or whatever. Uh, he would have liked to have made it a little bit more sci-fi. And in fact, uh, felt one little thing could have helped out with that. At the end, when the guy's talking to the moon, he wanted to have a movie ticket for Battle Him in the guy's pocket. Like he pulls out a ticket and it's like, what? You know, like, was he there? Was he not? Um, oh, okay. and, right? Like, it's real. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, okay, <laughs> maybe it's, it's gitch, kitschy and gimmicky, but it it's not a sci-fi episode per se. Um, so I'm going to be a slightly... Yeah. less I mean, predisposed were, to like it. There were a lot of electrodes, let me tell you. <laughs> there were a lot of electrodes. Did you read uh, about uh, what the original pilot was? Well, yeah, and that was the other thing I was going to say. I think uh, <laughs> that Rod Serling, and this this makes me kind of like this just because yeah. I appreciate Rod Serling's um, deep, deep commitment to the concept. The, enti- the first episode was all about a society that just kills people off when they're 60 or something. Because they can't contribute, which yeah. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's the episode I really wanted to see. The network was like, absolutely nuts. No, so, you know, clearly within, <laughs> within the confines of, of what he was working with, I thought this was a pretty good one. And yeah. it's a good way to get it started. I'm looking for more... Uh, twists, more excitement, more kind of real deep delving into, into I don't know, the psyche of humanity. I think this idea that we get lonely after 400 hours, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but. it was kind of like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not going to dispute that. <laughs> um, do podcasters pause their recording when they have to pee or should we just... <laughs> I think we can wrap it up here and maybe edit that out. Wait, do you want to tell them like who you are? Oh, gosh, yeah. So I'm Toby Aiken. I'm a, a teacher slash administrator, middle school, high school. And my daughter, two daughters, Cassidy, who, who as Maeve said, uh, recorded the intro for us. And, and Maeve. hopefully the outro. Yeah, the we'll outro we too. We'll see. That. You'll know pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in for the next two minutes. <laughs> and, and who are you, Maeve? Um, 
I am a lizard trapped in a woman's body. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's, that's actually not that far out. <laughs> so, Cass, what did you think of the first episode of our podcast? Um, I, uh, you know, I thought... <sighs> <laughs> that bad huh yes exactly i thought this guy space (laughs) so um and a good first try oh thanks thanks a lot attempt let's just say say (laughs) yeah maybe next time we'll get to the level of try maybe please subscribe to our podcast on itunes or soundcloud And don't be afraid to give us a review on iTunes. You can follow our Twitter at ZoneZonePod and like our Facebook page also at ZoneZonePod. You can write in feedback to our email address, thezonezonepodcast at gmail.com.